0: Our scripture reading today is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, fear god honor the emperor this is the le- the lord this is the word of the lord
1: as we continue our study this morning of 1 peter strangers like me up to this point in the letter we have focused primarily on the foundation that we have in christ but today peter kind of shifts the tone of the letter And for the rest of the letter, we're going to be focusing on what is our relationship supposed to be to these strangers that we live around? As exiles in this world, how do we relate to our brothers and sisters that are not like us? How do we relate to government? How do we relate to civil authorities? And Peter's going to spend the rest of his letter focusing on these issues. I think without question... We are the most polarized as a country that we have ever been in my lifetime. And so as we read this text today, some of the things that Peter is encouraging us and telling us to do, we have to really ask the question, do we believe what God's Word says about subjecting ourselves to those that are in authority over us? Peter starts off this passage by giving descriptions to these believers about how they should think of themselves. He says that they are a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. So while these believers are in exile, uncomfortable in their surroundings, dealing with suffering and persecution, Peter is telling them, remember who you are. Remember that God owns you, that he has your back that he cares for you, that he loves you. But these descriptions that Peter gives them are not simply to inflate their ego or to solely make them feel better about themselves. The reason these descriptions are there is for a purpose. And that purpose is laid out. He says, so that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who have been called from darkness into this marvelous light. You see, these descriptions of us as believers in Jesus Christ are not just to make us feel good about ourselves. They are there so that we can go and proclaim the light. The light to a world that is living in darkness, apart from the love and relationship with Jesus that you and me have. That's the purpose of, Behind why Peter says, This is how you are to be described, because when you go out to people that are not like you, you're going to have to remember that this is who you are. This is your identity. He says that they were once not a people. So they were roaming, they were searching, they were looking in all of the wrong places for meaning and fulfillment and purpose. But once Jesus saved them, they have found all of those things. And now they have received mercy. And at one time, they had not received mercy. Mercy is simply somebody that comes along and takes intentional care and kindness for someone who is in need. That is what mercy is. That is what Jesus did for you and I. He showed us mercy when we did not deserve it. Hey, how many of us in here believe that our neighbor, our coworker, our family member is in need of God's mercy? But here's the reality I have neighbors that are on my left and on my right, and they know that I'm a pastor. But just because they know I'm a pastor doesn't mean they're coming to me and asking me all of these questions about Jesus. That is not the world that we live in anymore. We cannot sit back and just expect people to come before us with all of these questions about Jesus, even if they know that you are a Christian. You have to go to them. You have to proclaim the light. Now study after study has been done to tell human beings the significance that light has for us. So for instance, if you have a window in your office, studies say you sleep better you're more motivated at work, and you have a better general overall being than those that don't have a window in their office. The same way, people that get natural light regularly, it helps their body stick to the natural circadian rhythms in their body so they are more alert and more energetic when they are supposed to be. You know, we have downplayed the significance of our personal stories of how God transformed us. And we have bought into the lie that unless you have this great tale of how God saved you from this horrible way of life, then your testimony is not worth sharing with your neighbors and friends. Do not believe that. If you have been called from darkness to light, your story is worth telling. People want to be around other people that walk in the light. That is what you have in your heart if Jesus resides in you. You have the light and you were called to proclaim it because you are set apart, because you are chosen, because you are a royal priesthood, because you are a people for God's own possession. Take those qualities and meditate on them and leave today knowing that as you proclaim the light, that is your description in Christ, I was reading just last week, over 500 Chinese underground church leaders asked a well-known leadership guru in America to come and teach them about how they can be better leaders. And I want to read to you what these church leaders said. We don't understand anything about leadership, they said. We don't understand about Western leadership methods. Could you help us? All we know how to do is pray. All we know how to do is believe God. That's how we had revival in China when we were not allowed to carry the word of God. The only leadership training we give our people is we teach them how to witness to their executioner on the way to their execution. Our brothers and sisters in China, are proclaiming the light of the gospel as they walk to their death. Do we care that much about proclaiming the light to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and our family members where there is literally zero threat of our lives being taken as a result? Remember the description that Peter gives you here. Take it with you and walk out boldly today knowing that you are being obedient to what Jesus has called you to do. We also see that our conduct, our Christian conduct, reflects Jesus. Now Peter tells these Gentile Christians, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now there is a war that is engaged every single day if you are in Christ between the spirit and between the flesh. Every single day, Satan, he wants control of your heart and he wants control of your mind, but the Spirit and Satan are battling each other daily. Paul tells us in Romans 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who live according to the Spirit of God are children of God. You know, if I were to be honest with you, I don't wake up every morning sensing this cosmic battle that is going on between my flesh and between my spirit. But the New Testament over and over and over again tells us there is a battle and every single day the flesh is pulling you in a direction that is apart from the spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians, the only way that you even stand a chance of overcoming the flesh is to use the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. We just talked about last week. Peter himself told us, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. That is how we overcome the tactics of the enemy. And then Peter switches the way he uses his vocabulary here. Because he tells his audience, I want you to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, we know that Peter is writing to Gentile Christians, but right here, he's referring to Gentiles as all of those that are not believers. So there is no longer at this point Jew or Gentile in Christ. There is Christian and there is Gentile. And Peter is telling them, keep your conduct among these pagans honorable. Now, here's what was happening in our context. These believers were living in Asia Minor, surrounded by pagan people giving sacrifices in pagan temples to pagan gods, and these Christians were not participating in this. And they were being made fun of, and they were being judged, and they were being talked about, and they were being looked down upon for not participating in these activities. And Peter tells them, in spite of this, keep your conduct honorable. My natural tendency is when someone wants to smear my reputation or talk bad of me is to lash out, is to defend myself, is to make sure that my reputation is accounted for. But Peter says, be honorable. Don't worry about this happening. Keep your conduct among these people honorable hey, what's more important, how people perceive us or how we know Jesus loves us? There's going to be people, as we dialogue and interact with people, that disagree with us, maybe even speak poorly of us. Are we willing to say, God is my judge and I'm going to pull back and I'm going to let him take control of this situation? Our conduct among those around us makes a huge difference in how people view us as Christians. Peter also tells us about what our role is in human institutions. Peter tells them, be subject to the emperor. Now the emperor, when Peter is writing his letter, is Nero. He reigned from 54 to 68 A.D., and he was a ruthless, evil tyrant. And Peter is telling his Christians that he's talking to, be subject to this man. Let me tell you what Nero did. He started a fire, most historians think, in 64 A.D. in Rome. And it spread like crazy. And most people think that Nero did this, but guess who he blamed it on? He blamed it on the Christians. And so he executed and he tortured and he lit their bodies on fire and he used their bodies to light up the city as torches at night. This was the emperor that Peter is telling his audience to submit themselves to. And we think we have disagreements with our elected officials? As I said earlier, the most polarized we have been as a country in my lifetime. How do we speak about our elected officials? Local, state, and national. Do we pray for them? Do we support them? I didn't say agree with them. I said support them. You see, Peter knew that his... Gentiles that he is writing to, Gentile Christians, could have the opportunity to proclaim the light by the way they talked and by the way they submitted to those that were in authority over them. No one in this room is saying that you have to agree with every single policy that is put in place at a local, state, and national level. But Christians should be the one that can unite people in spite of the fact that we are polarized. We know that we live in a time where there is no civil discourse. It is my way or the highway. And if you are not on my side of whatever issue it is, you are gone and you don't matter. And that is not the way Jesus tells us to live our lives. So what are we going to do? Are we going to support and pray for and speak highly of those that are in authority over us even if we disagree with them? It's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. I love this quote that I shared with you a few weeks ago from N.T. Wright, and I want to read it again. He's a well-known New Testament scholar. The lived community is one of the key things a church that is actually being the church on the street. Christianity did not spread by the great brains passing ideas to other great brains who developed them, and then there was a trickle-down effect. The reason people became Christians was because their neighbors were behaving differently, and the way they were behaving was deeply attractive, and they wanted to know why. is our conduct in a fragmented, polarized country such a way that people look at us and they say, I want what that person has. I've been contemplating on this quote for weeks now, and I ask myself, do people want what I have? Plain and simple. And one of the ways that they could be drawn to what I have is even if I disagree with elected officials, even if I disagree with policies and procedures that are put in place, but that I never spoke negatively of that person, but constantly let them know that I am praying for that person and I wish them the best. You see, that would be radical because that is not the way we are currently operating. So why don't Christians be the ones responsible for taking the lead? for changing the narrative, for willing to have discussions with people that we disagree with and not allowing it to divide us. This is what Peter is telling his audience here. And then he goes back to this concept of freedom that we have been talking about a lot the last few weeks. And I've told you, and I hope by now you remember this definition, freedom is not the absence of constraints, it is finding the right restrictions. There is a difference between what society at large considers freedom and what we as believers in Christ and what the Bible teaches about freedom. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. When God is speaking to Pharaoh, he tells him, let my people go so that they can serve me. He doesn't say, let my people go so that they can be free." He tells them, let my people go so that they can serve me. So in essence, the Israelites go from bondage to Egyptian slavery to bondage to God. Most people think that freedom means nothing ties me down. But freedom is actually serving the God who created us and submitting to His design, and submitting to His plan for our life. You see, you are the least free when you are serving your flesh or when you are serving whatever it is you want to serve. You are the most free when you are in bondage to God and doing what He wants you to do. It goes against what most people think freedom is. You are more free than you will ever be when you choose to be in bondage To God's design and purpose for your life. That is true freedom. Anything else is pure deception. And then I love how Peter finishes this passage. Now, if I were going to get a tattoo, which I'm not, this would be the tattoo of my choice Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There is not a more direct, pithy statement that Peter could give us to kind of summarize this entire passage. I'm not sure if I would put it all the way down my arm or across my back. I'm not really sure. But maybe one of you would like to do it and, you know, feel free. But this is what Peter tells us. Honor everyone. What this means is what it says. That we honor everyone. Those that are like us. Those that are not like us. Those that align with our religious beliefs. Those that do not align with our religious beliefs. Those that align with our political beliefs. Those that do not align with our political beliefs. Social beliefs, and so on and so forth. Everyone is worthy of honor because everyone has been created in the image of God. That is why everyone is worthy of that. It's not up to us to decide who is worthy of honor and respect. God made that decision for us. Love the brotherhood. Now this is a relationship that only exists for those of us that are in this room. Peter is talking about the body of Christ here. Love the brotherhood. There are relationships that I have with you that I do not have with other people in this world. I can walk up to some of you and only see you 45 Sundays a year and immediately have a connection with you that I do not have with people that I see every day. Because we are united with the Spirit of God. And so I love you, and hopefully you love me in a way that is different than the way I love my lost neighbor or my lost friend. It's just different. Peter reminds these believers... While you are in exile, while you are uncomfortable, cling to the people that are just like you and love the brotherhood. Don't abandon the very community that God put in place for your benefit. And he says, fear God. Now we've talked a lot about fear because Peter keeps using this phrase, fear God. We're not talking about being frightened. We're talking about a holy reverence and respect for who God is. Now, yes, we probably should be afraid of God. But what Peter is saying here is respect Him. Have a holy awe and reverence for who He is. The God who created the Rocky Mountains. The God who created Mount Everest. The God who spoke and light came into existence. The God that created you and me with organs that... We don't even know what they do, but God knew that they mattered and that they are there. Tonsils, appendix, why do those things exist? We don't have to have them. For some reason, God wanted them there. The intricacies, for those of you that are doctors, involved in the human body could only be from a creator. That's the God that we fear. And then notice what he says about the emperor. He doesn't say fear the emperor. He says honor the emperor. There can be no dispute what Peter is telling us here. He is not saying you have to agree to what anybody in authority tells you to do. Now we know that when laws are passed in this country or other places that go against what God's word teaches, we can disobey. but we're still called to honor that person that has been placed in authority over us. We talked last week about the sovereignty of God. And if all of us in here believe that God is truly sovereign, then whoever is placed in any position of authority over us is not there without God knowing about it. And so we can rest in peace, knowing that even though we might agree with an elected official, that God is sovereign and he is in control of our lives. I want to close with another quote. This is a quote, day from an author and an apologist who's in the UK. This is what she says. Before I read it, I want you to know that if we're going to reach people in this city and in our community, this is the type of mentality that we're going to have to have. Disagreement is not evidence of disrespect. Indeed, I debate hardest with the people I respect the most because I take their ideas seriously. But our society seems to be losing the art of debate within friendships. And we instead surround ourselves with people who think like us. If our commitment to diversity is more than skin deep, We must cultivate deep friendships with smart people with whom we fundamentally disagree. Why should our lost neighbor, lost coworker, lost family member want what we have if we cannot find some area of common ground with them? We must learn to disagree and debate, and at the end of the day, still have friendships and relationships with those that are not like us. This is the message that Peter is trying to get across to his hearers. This is the message that Peter is trying to get across to you and me this morning. The only way to reach people for Christ is is to go to people more than likely that do not think the same way that you do, and have dialogue and debate and discussion with them and listen to them and hear their perspective, and then share your perspective and find some area of common ground where then you can take the gospel to that next level. That's how this church can grow. But if we're content with only surrounding ourselves by people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, and behave like us, we will continue to not reach anybody. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we look at these qualities that Peter gives us and we are reminded That you have chosen us, that we are a people for your possession, that we have received your mercy. God, help us to take those qualities and reach those around us. We are in need of your Spirit to guide our steps. God, I pray as we continue through this book and as we have read today, that we would allow the word of God to pierce our hearts, to convict us, to help us to realize that we are in need of your grace, that we do not have it all together. Humble us, forgive us when we fall short, but ultimately help us to remember that you love us unconditionally and that your grace and mercy are available to anybody who will receive it. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.